From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at Littlefield in Brooklyn, New York, it's Livewire. With the hosts of Radio Lab, Chad Albumrod and Robert Prowich. Comedian, Veritende Thurston. Artist and professor, Rupa Vasudevan. With music from New York subway singer Mike Young and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, fucking convention for most of this century, Luke Burbank! Thank you, Jason. Thank you to everybody here in Brooklyn at Littlefield. This is very exciting for us to be here. Uh, we are coming to you as part of the Unconvention, which is a series of conversations that have been happening this week in New York about the upcoming election with a sort of specific focus on reaching out to millennials. And I think it's pretty clear <laughs> that as a 40-year-old man who is not on Instagram or Facebook and could not snap a chat if you put a gun to my head, I am the perfect person to reach out to the young people of America. I just get them, you know? There are over 75 million millennials in America now. Uh, it's defined as being between the ages of 18 and 34. And at that number, it means from an age standpoint, millennials are the largest demographic in America now. They just surpassed the baby boomers. So we have one baby boomer who just <laughs> quietly cried boo to themselves. The good news is we will not have to listen to as many older people talking about how great Fleetwood Mac is. The bad news is we will have to listen to a lot of young people talking about how great Fleetwood Mac is because they were listening to it on Spotify in the Uber on the way to Coachella. University of Massachusetts at Lowell did a uh, survey a couple of weeks ago, and they asked millennials about the upcoming election, and there was one sort of data point that jumped out at me, so much so that I actually wrote it down here. They asked millennials what they preferred over a Clinton or Trump presidency, okay? 39% of them said they preferred Barack Obama to serve a lifetime term as president. Um, 26% of these millennials surveyed said they preferred a random lottery to choose the next president. And 23%, which is like basically one in four, said, quote, they prefer a giant meteor to strike the earth. This was a real survey that asked real people a real question. This is not from The Onion. So I was trying to figure out, is this really how millennials feel about the election that's coming up? And so I reached out to a millennial that I know extremely well. I know her extremely well because I helped make her in 1993 in a Dodge Dakota. <laughs> Talking about my daughter. And yes, if you're scoring at home, I am 40. She is 22. That means I had her when I was a senior in high school because as I often joke on this show, I felt like it was time. So I texted my daughter the survey of the millennials who wanted a meteor to smash into the planet more than one of the two candidates to be elected. And I asked her if this was really how she and her friends felt. And she texted me back right away. It was amazing. JK, that's not how that works <laughs> at all. At some point far in the future, she texted me back. And... She said, yeah, like, me and my friends are pretty apathetic about this election right now. We don't feel like we necessarily have the greatest choices. And it really bummed me out because I love my daughter more than anything. And I know that this election is going to have a huge impact on her life. Like, the Supreme Court is up for grabs. So her access to reproductive health could be affected. Uh, if she can expect to make the same money at her job as a man makes, that's up for grabs. The structure of her student loans and how much they're going to be and what the interest will be, that is all something that could be affected by this election. And I think that is probably the most pressing issue in our nation, because if she cannot pay off those student loans, she is moving back home with me, <laughs> which has elevated this to a tier three situation 
for all of us, me specifically. So we're going to talk about this during this episode of the show. We've had some great guests coming out. I think we're going to have a fun conversation, but also a, a meaningful conversation. And look, if the people at the Peabody Journalism Award Place, if they hear this episode, they want to give us a Peabody, that's cool. We'll take it. If they hear this episode, thank you. It's fine either way. If they listen to this episode and they don't give us a Peabody, that's also fine because the Peabodies are rigged. Everybody knows it. <laughs> the American people know it. I'm saying we will accept the Peabody's decision if we win one. <laughs> so let's get rolling with things. Let's get our first guest out here. If you are thinking that you might vote, but also that maybe you won't if like, you know, there's a Top Chef marathon on or something, our next guest is going to be furious with you. Why? Because she just flew here from Shanghai in order to cast her ballot. She's a coder and a professor of art at NYU Shanghai. Parenthetical thought, if you are signing up for NYU, make sure you know which one you're signing up for. <laughs> her latest work is titled Hashtag bellwether. She wrote an algorithm to try and capture all of the political talk on Twitter emanating from the state of Ohio. Then she made buttons and bumper stickers and other political stuff with the results of what she found. Please welcome the probably jet-lagged Rupa Vasudevan to Livewire. Rupa, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's really great to be here. Take me through this project that you made. What was the goal and what were the sort of steps you had to go through? Um, so initially when I started the project, I started thinking about the polling systems that we have in the U.S. and how they're not really the best gauge um, a lot of the time of what actual voters are thinking. Sure, they do a random sampling of voters, but the sample sizes are usually super small, and it's not really a good sense of what the general mass of the population is really feeling like. I also wanted to examine the state of Ohio, which is where I'm from originally. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio originally. And it seems like the general strategy for the campaigns in Ohio is to kind of carpet bomb all of the Ohio voters without actually paying attention to what they actually want or what they actually think. So I wanted to do kind of of a study to see if social media would be an interesting way to gauge whether or not we could actually get these individual differences and get distinct feelings about certain from certain groups of people about what they were thinking about the candidates. Oh, so then you wrote a computer program to do this? I did. So I wrote a computer program that I basically ran for, uh, I mean, pretty continuously, with some exceptions, when my server crashed after, you know, certain Republican debates where certain candidates didn't show up because they were throwing a temper tantrum. How many tweets is that? Any tweet in Ohio that mentions one of these, like, tons of different candidates? It, it was millions and millions and millions of tweets. Like, I completely lost count over the course of time. I had an exact number uh, back when the project was initially exhibiting, but I had... Doesn't I the computer it. program count them for you? It does. <laughs> I just I feel don't like you look at the bottom of the screen, it just goes up by one. Every I just time, don't right? remember that number off the top of my head ah, right now. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to, you know, mansplain the algorithm to you. you know. I apologize. <laughs> that was too close to home. Way very, too close to home. As right. a female programmer, that's right. way too close to home. Let me put it this way. <laughs> I didn't know if it was technically called a computer program. <laughs> like when I said that, I was like, I hope that's technically what it's called. <laughs> yeah. No joke. Okay, so you got these millions and millions of tweets, and then what are you doing with them to try to find something out about what people are thinking? So I'm basically looking at how frequently a candidate's name is used in conjunction with a certain grammatical structure. So for example, I ran a search for a candidate's name plus is plus a noun, and I ran a, can a simultaneous search for candidate's name plus is plus an adjective, candidate's name plus should plus a verb, and so on and so forth forth. And every time I got tweets that were saying the exact same thing that had that exact same phrasing, I counted them all up together and I kind of sorted them by frequency so I could see what was being said most often, kind of going down all the way to things that were not really being said as much. Wow. Okay. I want to hear what you did with this stuff because you didn't stop there. Impressive as that is. 
Uh, we got to take a quick break. This is Livewire Radio. We're coming to you from Littlefield in Brooklyn. We've got much more with Rupa Vasudevan in a moment. Stay with us. Hey, it's Luke reminding you that this podcast is brought to you by Livewire members. That's right. We got a league of them. They're the League of Extraordinary Listeners, and they keep this radio show and podcast afloat. How do they do it? Well, they make donations every month. You just set up a thing. It takes like two minutes. You go to livewireradio.org. You got a recurring donation there. Could be five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. Uh, Whatever feels good to you is what we would like you to donate to our program to help us keep doing it. And as a special thanks, we've got all kinds of T-shirts and coffee and totes bags. That's right, a tote bag that actually says totes on it. Like, your tote's going to love that totes bag. Uh, We've got all kinds of uh, special thank you gifts uh, to show our appreciation for you helping keep this little uh, radio show going. So head over to livewireradio.org and join the league today. Welcome back to Livewire. We are coming to you from Littlefield in Brooklyn as part of the Unconvention from PRI, the 92nd Street Y, and Mike.com. We have Rupa Vasudevan here. She is a professor at NYU Shanghai, also a coder and a programmer. You were telling me before the break about this program that you wrote that was collecting up all of the tweets from Ohio where people were saying stuff about the candidates. So now you've got these millions of tweets. What do you do with those? I took that information and I basically hacked the candidate's campaign merchandise in order to have it, instead of reflecting this super curated and super vetted message that you see all the time, how many times have we seen the Hillary Clinton stronger together message? How many times have we seen make America great again? So instead of that, I wanted to kind of hack that merchandise using the exact same design language, the same typography, the same colors, the same logos, the same everything, but instead it said what was actually being said about the candidates on Twitter. I've seen this stuff. Because this was on display in Ohio. What did people make of this, these buttons and this merchandise that you created? So the interesting thing about initially when this exhibit was kind of up, it was in a gallery that had a lot of window space and you get a really nice view onto the street. So people could, were constantly walking by the gallery. And a lot of people would come in thinking that it was actually a campaign office. <laughs> Simply because the, the amount of Trump merchandise that I had to make over the course of the primary season was unreal. It was crazy. So people would come in thinking that Trump had a campaign office in the gallery where I was working. You had to make a bunch of Trump stuff because of the volume of Trump-related messages that you were picking up through your, your oh, computer yeah. program? Oh, yeah. It was just like the, the amount of stuff that was being said about Trump versus the other candidates. It was like not even comparable. Were you sort of a canary in a coal mine? or if I can say, Rupa, a bellwether? Yeah, I mean, starting from August of 2015, every single section of this exhibit, the most common emotion surrounding Trump was surprise. And I was expecting something like anger or shock or something like that, but it was always surprise. So seeing that and seeing the kind of tweets that I was collecting, there was an early feeling like, oh my God, what if this actually happens? Like, you were like the person that figured out that those dinosaurs on that Jurassic Park island are up to no good. <laughs> you were like, the cup of water started vibrating at your desk, and you were like, this is going to be bad. That's kind of the most flattering comparison that, I, that has been made <laughs> ever. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's a service we provide. We have, we have Rupa Vasudevan here. Uh, she is a coder and a professor at NYU in Shanghai. Um, uh, part of this unconvention that we're a part of this week is is really taking a look at how millennials are experiencing this particular election. And I'm just wondering, do you feel, I mean, you've spent a lot of time now looking at the rhetoric and the way people talk about people who maybe they don't like their political ideas or even the people who they support. As a person who's going to be living in this reality for a long time going forward, do you feel having looked at all the data like this is just how it's going to be? Well, I think the interesting thing is, is, um, and I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how on social media we kind of exist in our own filter bubbles. Um, there was a really great piece uh, that was going through my Facebook feed a while back about how if you, you could select whether or not you wanted to see conservative news or liberal news and you would be presented with two completely different Facebook feeds. And you kind of surround yourself with the people who you agree with. And I think that 
that is a that it's a bad thing. Like if you don't if you don't even have access to the opposing viewpoint, if you don't even have an opportunity to discuss or debate with somebody who doesn't agree with you, obviously you're gonna get really solidified in your views and it's gonna be divided and you're not gonna be able to even get the chance to have that perspective and be able to comprehend why somebody else would be thinking in a different way. It ended up being about the diversity of opinion in the Ohio voting population. And it ended up being that, you know, you can walk into this exhibit full of campaign merchandise that's saying all of this weird and crazy stuff about the candidates. And it would take a really, really, really long time for you to find somebody that actually agreed with you. And I think we need more of that. We need to be actually confronting the things that we don't want to confront and we actually need to be confronting the views that we don't actually want to agree with. And we need to examine why people are feeling this way and what about these views is compelling them to lean in this direction. Do you see a world, as somebody who really looks carefully at this stuff, do you see a world where there will be more of that stuff online where people are challenging their notions? Like, could we break through at some point? Well, that's part of the reason that I do the work that I do. And, you know, this this piece in particular and my past work, it's really important to note that it's, you know, it does revolve around technology and I am a programmer, but the final pieces are not screen based because I think it's really important that we step away from the screen because you're right that screen has the potential to suck us into this world where everybody agrees with us and everybody believes the exact same things that we do. And it's really important to get away from that once in a while and be actually out in the real world and confront the environment where the person you're walking down the street next to you might not agree with everything that you're saying, and that's okay. And we have to understand what those differences are and figure out why people are feeling this certain way. That's Rupa Vasudevan. Thank you so much for being on Livewire. Thank you for having me. This week's episode is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, offering online delivery. That's right. All the wonderful items at Whole Foods can be delivered just by ordering online. What? I know. <laughs> More info at WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right. Let's get our next guests out here. Unconventional thoughts are probably the thing that landed our next guests on a public radio station near you. Jad Abumrad and Robert Krolwich met by chance years ago, and they decided it would be fun to make a radio show, but not just any radio show, one that combines science, remarkable storytelling, and even experimental music to make something unlike anything that had ever existed before. The result was Radio Lab, and now More Perfect, which looks at the U.S. Supreme Court. Please welcome two dudes who I name drop when I'm trying to look like a real somebody, Robert Krolwich and Jad Abumrad to Livewire. Robert and Chad, welcome to Livewire. Hello. Uh, we're here this week as part of this unconvention, and we're talking about the sort of political climate in this country. And you guys just actually put out an episode of Radio Lab that profiled this town called Seneca, Nebraska, where the political climate got so bad that they voted to just end the town. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like an extreme measure. Yeah, but it's, it's the story of a community with two groups of people in the community who didn't like each other, didn't like each other more, didn't like each other even more, and then decided why, if we don't like each other, should we be together at all? So they voted themselves out of existence. <laughs> and it was a, a majority of one to, to end the town. So it was a very close vote. And there's a sort of a resonance, you know, because when we went to the people at the end and said, you don't have a government, they took away the snowplow, they turned off the lights in Main Street, they locked the one building that was your community building. The winners said, good riddance. They didn't want to talk to the rest of their community. And the community that isn't being talked to said, well, then good riddance to you. So there's a little, yeah. there's a little message there. Because like, it, it seemed terrible to us. I mean, I don't, we didn't say so, but to me anyway. I said, <laughs> really? I mean, there's not, there's not going to be a town called Seneca, Nebraska anymore? But you have to listen to the thing. 
Yeah, I, I, I found it an eerie bit of foreshadowing about this mm. sort of larger vibe in this country right now. Yeah, because whichever one gets elected, the animus between the two sides stays, right? So you have to govern all of them. And they're not happy campers, the two. True. So. And, you know, pulling the plug, it's an option. <laughs> it's a decision you can make. It's Would you guys option. produce a, an episode an of Radio Lab about that? Just the idea of just pulling the plug on the whole nation? <laughs> We would argue about it, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, one of the more delightful parts of, of your show, which is the interactions between the two of you while we're all learning about whatever the topic is, I'm wondering how that comes about. I, I think it's because we decide to talk about things that are complicated. And so one person then has an opinion, which because it's one person in the middle of a complicated thing, by definition, that opinion is going to be too narrow. So then the other person... It's like, wait, that's not the whole story. And then they kind of take a different opinion because it's a complicated thing we're talking also, about. Sometimes we just disagree. I mean, that's that yeah, happens. That happens. Yes. And you don't know necessarily before you start recording what those disagreements might be. I mean, is that stuff happening organically at times? No, we, we, we do talk about it a lot before we start recording. We didn't used to. We used to just record everything. Like pretty much we'd have breakfast. <laughs> that wouldn't be recorded. And then we'd go to the studio, and then everything would be recorded because we didn't know what we were doing. That's the most inefficient way to make a broadcast. We thought somewhere in here in the world is good. But take. I completely understand why you would do that because one of the great things about your show <laughs> is the way that you use little bits of audio when the person is getting their microphone positioned, when the phone is oh. ringing. So once you start to go there mentally, and I think this is more Chad, you're part of the operation. You think it's all potential gold, right? You could go crazy that way. Yeah, and, and, and go there, man. You mean the mental part is the more my, my part? Is that what, is that what you're the, saying? I, you're obviously the brains of the operation. For the record. No, uh, Crow, which is the looks, you're the brains. Thank you. No, so I, uh, if, you, if, if you're suggesting that I can be quite obsessive when it comes to the recording of things, yes, that is, that is a also, role that also, I play. Also, there's a thing. Like, we know... Like, it's ridiculous. So we talk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and we re-record and talk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and add in the sound, and then talk around the sound, back and forth, back and forth. And then what you get is a spliced version of all of those actual... Because we didn't think... Like, Ira had the other show, so he his was scripted. Right. You're talking about Ira Flato with Science Ira Friday. Ira Flato. Right? <laughs> Only this crowd would get why that was funny. <laughs> is there another one? <laughs> So like we didn't like we he everything on that show is read so we thought we're just not going to read but that means that we edit all these improvisations into a whole which is like you know that's just crazy but it does mean though that you get a very honest dishonest program it's honest in that our mouths are moving and words are coming out but we don't know the words that are going to come out until right. they come out so that's the honest part the dishonest part is that you do kind of know where you're going. You know, like you get into the studio and you're like, okay, so once upon a time, Jack and Joe went up the hill. They fell. There's the thing with the crown. They fell down. Everyone's happy, right? So you know the story, and you just have to unfurl it. But you don't quite know. I never know what he's gonna say. I mean, no one on planet Earth has ever predicted what this man's gonna say. So he'll say something, and then suddenly we're off the rails. And then, kind of, ten minutes later, we'll come back. But we eventually tumble down the hill and finish the story. You know what I mean? We just never know what speed, who's going to be taking what side, how fast, how slow. And, and things like earplugs falling out and railroad trains being over. The, the, the fact is, we are manufacturing it, and we like you to hear that it is a manufacture. So it's not like old-time radio where everything was polished or tried to be. When, we, when mistakes happen, we let them happen just to let everybody know that this is something that you know and we know is being made. If you trick people into thinking that hearing the sausage get made is part of the experience, gives you a lot of latitude. That's yeah. right. Okay. Well, you know this, because yours, really yours is the same. Believe me, this yes. show is 100% sausage being made. <laughs> we can't pull the curtain back because there's no curtain. You guys at least have a curtain. We're talking to Robert Krolwich and Jad Abumrad from Radiolab and more perfect. Uh, we've talked about this before, but Jad, you won a uh, MacArthur Genius Award, which is quite a thing. Krollwich, are you 
Are you like, did you feel when he won that happy for your friend, but also a little bit like, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> no, I, uh, this is one of those things where, yeah, people felt sorry for me. But I, this is my consolation. Like, so who knew that he was a genius first? Hmm? So if there was He a... was just in a lobby. I met him in the lobby at ABC News. I, I knew fairly quickly that there was something special going on. And after about a year of yakking, I realized that there was something enormously special going on. And there's a kind of crazy pride you get from being able to sort of spot something beautiful all by yourself and then just basically breathing on it or whatever and saying, go. <laughs> that is a weird pre-show ritual. No, and then, and then when the rest of the world, five, six years later, goes, oh, yeah, I will dub him, we'll call him what, yeah. I think, okay, yeah, I guess you caught up with me. So I, I think, I, my, own, my own feeling is like, I knew first. So this has turned into sort of a MacArthur Genius Award for you for recognizing the genius of Jad. That's slick. That is very slick. How long does it take to create an episode of Radiolab? So the illusion is that we're just flapping our gums and it's happening. We spend about a year painstakingly constructing that illusion so that it all just kind of happens. But no, I mean, it's like we're working on 40-ish, 30-ish stories at once. And each one is sort of inching its way forward. And you kind of, hopefully they're at different stages so that at any given two weeks, you can sort of grab one and put it on. Oftentimes you're like grabbing one from the future that you know isn't ready and putting it on because it doesn't always work out that way. But uh, I don't know, a year, sometimes two years. But that means like in our combined heads, there are so many compartments. Like, you know, there's the, the thing from that one, and there's the that one, and there's the that one, and that one, and then we go, what about the and then that is, a, that is a peculiar kind of business. We've I actually... thought you guys were using sound effects when that happens on the show. That's just the genius of Robert Krulwich. Yeah. I mean, not no. MacArthur-level genius, but still the, still the genius of Robert Krulwich. That was amazing. There'll be a category for that one day. There should be. It'll be you and the guy from Police Academy. <laughs> you know, sometimes, it, sometimes he rises to that level. Winslow level. He levels? does get to, that le to, to Winslow level, for sure. Impressive. All right, listen, your new podcast, More Perfect, is about the Supreme Court. Did somebody suggest that to you, or are you listening to Nina Totenberg, and you thought, this is a good topic for me to do a mini-series on? <laughs> she lives in the right-hand drawer of his desk. Like, you open it up, <laughs> Nina comes out. Talks to him, pushes her back in. Okay, so that's got to be an HR violation. So Nina Totenberg, let's, she is like she's like one of the Mount Olympians of public radio, right? But I never know what she's talking about. Really? I don't, I that don't, is so dumb. No, no, she but it's, that's part of why I wanted to do the show is because I don't. Like there was just a like there was layers of background that I just I, I missed that day in school maybe, and I wanted to do a show for idiots like me as a way to teach myself parts of American history that I just never knew. I think journalistically it's real interesting if you go to something that is deeply abstract and wants to be and must be by its nature, and you not only people it up, but in in the case of this show, he makes it like deeply curious, very very in your heart, people problems, that is really hard to do. You know, I didn't want it to succeed. He was doing it by himself. Yeah. I thought to myself, like, oh, I look. And then I listened to him. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, Robert. Uh, we have Robert Krolich and Jad Abumrod here from Radio Lab and More Perfect. Um, so, so More Perfect was a thing that Jad's kind of spearheaded. Do you have a secret dream of a different kind of radio show that you want to do, a spinoff? I'm doing the Supreme Court of Ecuador. It's going to be entirely... <laughs> it's a completely fascinating... So it will be... Mas Perfecto? Well, <laughs> that's exactly right. Mas Perfecto. No, I, I'm at that age where you sort of like, you have recollections. So I'm doing some recollecting. Really? Yeah. In I mean, the, not by myself. I can do like, on the page. You know? I see. Yeah, like in a written form that people in may be able to form. read someday. Yeah, and it's actually a bit more experimental than that. It's in a written form, and then I have this friend who's a conceptual artist, and we're just playing around with a, a crazy way to do a memoir, which I don't know whether they'll ever see the light of day. But it's really interesting. So. I'm sure it'll be like 
unlike anything that people have seen, Robert, because of knowing all of your work. Thank you so much, Robert Krolwich, Chad Abumrad. <laughs> Okay, Jad and Robert, your show, Radio Lab, is known for its amazing use of sound, but we were wondering at how good you would be at recognizing obscure bits of audio and then identifying what that audio might be, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to play you some short audio clips from Radio Lab, your own radio program, to see if you can identify them. And by play that audio, we mean we're going to have our announcer, Jason Rouse, try to recreate the sounds with his mouth. <laughs> you guys clear on how this works? I see. Jason, can you please go with sound effect number one? I'm going to guess any of the... 17 times we've made a neuron fire in one of our shows. Uh, what, that, what that eerily accurate sound effect from announcer Jason Rouse was, was a warbler finch from your show about the Galapagos. Let's take a listen to that. Was that just me you played back, or was that the actual uh, finch? I can't it was tell. a bird. A warbler finch. It was not a neuron. Right. It was a okay. bird. Oh, for one, that's fine. Let's hear sound number two from Radiolab, as performed by our announcer, Jason Rouse. We once had a distant NASCAR show, but it was too soft to actually be heard. <laughs> there so was a certain dopplering yes. to that, wasn't there? Chad, any guesses? Was that a whale? Man, kind of close. It is in the animal world. That was a sleeping cat. From your show about oh, sleep. Take a listen to this. That's my cat, Sammy. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go with this another This is a one high here, moment too. in Jason's life to have imitated Sammy so exactly. Congratulations. Yes. Let's go with number three. That's a whale. That's, That's a, a whale. whale. That's right? a whale. That is 100% right. That is a humpback whale. Okay. From the episode of Radiolab uh, with Andrew and talking about the Voyager so space probe. Yes. Of humpback whales. Robert Krolwich and Jad Abumrad, thank you so much. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical, unalaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. <laughs> Alaska Airlines, fly nice. All right, we are talking about politics and the election this week on Livewire. We're here in Brooklyn as part of the unconvention. And you can't really talk about this country or its politics in any real way without talking about race. Thankfully, our next guest, Baratunde Thurston, has given the subject a lot of thought. His resume includes work for The Onion, The Daily Show. He's also the author of the book, How to Be Black, which no matter how many times I read, is proving to be an elusive concept for me. <laughs> but he's here to tell us about it. Please welcome the hilarious Baratunde Thurston to Livewire. Where are my bad hombres at? Bad hombres, are you here? Where are my nasty women? I think nasty's winning here in Brooklyn. I love it. We are in a moment, America. We're like going through it right now. And I just think we should take a moment to appreciate uh, what we've had and how long we've had it. 240 years, it's a pretty good run. Give it up. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. We have a lot to show for it. We have like the most efficient distribution system for chemically altered foods in the world's history. Like it's amazing. 
And no matter what happens, we can look back on that. I think most things don't last very long. Human life doesn't last very long. A Brooklyn coffee shop doesn't last very long. Because there's always another coffee shop injecting weirder stuff into the coffee to take over. It's like butter, then kale, then midichlorians or something. But like, it's coming. Trust me, midichlorian-infused coffee is coming to a truck near you. So, so I've been thinking, a lot of people have been asking, you know, what happened to get us here? I'm gonna blame black people. Uh, I can say that because I'm a black people. Um, I'm gonna blame black people somewhere where the country's at because we insisted on the right to vote, uh, sorry. And then we created Barack Obama. Like we manufactured him in our blackness lab. We're like one part Kenyan, one part Iowan, throw a little Hawaiian on the top. It'll totally throw off the security measures around the Oval Office. And it works, but like the backlash was great. The blacklash, I'm sorry, the blacklash was greater and it made things really hard. And a lot of people lost their damn minds uh, in the process. The other party that needs to be thrown under the bus here, though, is the internet. <laughs> no, but for real, because we were promised this amazing tool that gave everybody a voice. And then we realized, oh my God, this thing gives everybody a voice. That's all, like we've always had the gun hoarding white supremacist who buys gold all day long. But it was okay when he thought he was alone in the world. And then the internet comes along and is like, I've got self-expression and a community for everybody. And if you're a suicidal gay teen, that's dope. That's amazing. We want that. But if you believe the FEMA camps are coming and like government-issued guillotines are here to sever your head, maybe you should feel alone. Like maybe you don't need friends. Like isolation can be good for the rest of us. I don't want to let this internet thing go because the people who helped bring us here they're piecing out. Like, they're literally pushing the eject button. They're trying to go to Mars, right? <laughs> Jeff Bezos, all right, Elon Musk, you're not cute. Like, we see what you're doing. And we're not gonna let you just go. Like, that's not how this works. You fix the racism and the poverty, maybe we'll talk about it. Like, you clean your room, then you go and play with your friends. But you don't just get to leave Earth in the state of disarray that you help create. No, no, it's a classic childhood lesson. We all know this. Now, I am pro going to Mars for a certain type of person. I think I just want to attach some conditions to the ticket, right? You get to go to Mars free if you take all your LinkedIn friends with you. Like, that's, that's the grand bargain that we need because you'll be way more discerning and accepting online friend requests. Uh, and we'll get rid of people who think LinkedIn is a real thing. And I think that's best... For society, uh, this is bigger than America. This is bigger than America. Every four years, I discover that I am closely connected to people who I think are crazy. Uh, I've come across a particularly uh, unique type of crazy that I haven't understood how to process. And it's, it's the liberal who wants Trump to win. Because they have this like third degree level chest, which is really just nonsense that says, oh, no, 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 they're both bad. Hillary and Trump are both bad, but with Trump, people will see the truth. They'll see how bad it can be, right? And then, and there's never a then, <laughs> right? It just kind of stops there. And so I want to expose the levels of nonsense in this with a fire safety metaphor. So we're all in this theater together, and let's say the smoke detector goes off, there's someone smells smoke, like there's a good chance that there's a fire. Reasonable people, would calmly exit the building. A hero might grab a fire extinguisher, the sprinklers might be activated. But these liberal Trump supporters are like, let's chain the doors. Let's pour kerosene in and flood the air with oxygen. So people can really feel the flames, you know, really understand what fire feels like. I contend that I know what it feels like to be burned and I don't want to be taken out like that. So thank you very much. This is my welcome set. I'm going to sit down with Luke over here. Baratunde Thurston here on Livewire. Stay with us. Livewire gets support from Ergo Depot. You know about them if you listen to this show with any regularity. They are advocates of active living, and they are makers of the Jarvis, which is the sit-stand desk that I use 
when recording the Livewire radio show. It is an amazing piece of technology. It uh, has programmable heights, so you can tell it, go to my normal midday height. And uh, you press button one, and it just goes right there. So you don't have to monkey around with it too much. It's also a beautiful or maybe even handsome piece of furniture that you will be proud to have in your home or office. Don't buy into this notion that just because you grew up and went and got a grown-up job, you got to sit in a grown-up chair become sedentary. You can sit, stand, lean, stretch, and walk with the Jarvis desk. It's going to set you free. They've got all kinds of cool stuff over at ergodepot.com. Head over there to find out more. All right, welcome back to Livewire. From PRI, Public Radio International, we are coming to you from Littlefield in Brooklyn. We have Baratunde Thurston here. I wanted to, because the theme of this show is unconventional wisdom, and also we're talking about the election a little bit, I'm curious, do you feel like race is being talked about in a meaningful way in this election? Short answer, yeah. I think we, we are doing a much better job uh, as a nation than, say, we did in, in 2007 and 2008. I think Obama was like a blindsiding event, for the media, uh, for other candidates, they did not know what to do. And they've been practicing for the past eight years, uh, sometimes beautifully, sometimes horrifically, but we are a little bit better. So for example, if you look at the level of conversation about criminal justice reform, we have advanced, right? We are now achieving some consensus in the Democratic Party, and even to some degree in the Republican Party. Which is surprising. That like mass incarceration, not good. Millions of people thrown away as if they were garbage. It's, it's financially wasteful, it's morally repugnant, and that's taken you know, a couple of decades to get to, but this year is really different from even four years ago. So that's just one solid example, and race is tied into that deeply. Uh, how about the way that the internet allows people to communicate with each other? I think a lot of good and important ideas, but also a lot of really angry stuff. I feel like there's a lot of anger from African Americans, I think justified. There's a lot of really weird pushback from some white people. They're just finally getting the message yeah. of how not okay it has been. When people really see how power has been wielded in this country, when we're very honest about what this country was built on, it will be psychologically and emotionally devastating to an honest observer. And I think black people have had multiple generations of honest observations of how America really works. And a large chunk of white America has been miseducated and propagandized into a false sense of history, pride and security, and it's starting to tumble down. The reality distortion, like we talk about like Apple has the ability to create a reality distortion feel, like everything Apple launches is just amazing. That's white people, right? <laughs> everything is just amazing, like everything is awesome. But underneath that awesome is a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of missing information and some of those pieces are starting to be made available. And that's hard. And I think, I think white people are gonna need a hug for like a couple hundred years to help get through it. But that's a complicated thing too because yeah. it's obviously not people of color's job to hug the white people who are feeling bad about learning that things have not been great for people yeah. of color. I think there's a good business model in this though. <laughs> Hugsfromblackpeople.com is coming. Yeah. And not just black people, you get a hug from Asian, you get a hug from an Afro-Caribbean, a Latino, like. All different types of hugs. I think I'm a pretty good hugger, but I want to be compensated because <laughs> I'm an American too. Right. We have to monetize compassion, people. Speaking of your jobs, you started something called Cultivated Wit. Yeah. Uh, what's that all about? That is uh, three of us who left The Onion in 2012 created this company to explore the overlap of humor and tech. When I was at The Onion, I ran all of the web and digital strategy, app development, stuff like that. I got to experiment a lot with how you tell a joke through technology. And so Cultivated Wit, we wanted to push that farther. So we started a series of hackathons, which are these weekend events where software developers get together to play and to make interesting things. We decided to make ours comedic. So people would intentionally work with comedians, designers, developers, make an app that's funny on purpose. So an example... Uh, the winner of the New York Comedy Hack Day from a few months ago is called Getaways. This is a mobile app for Android. It's modeled on like a navigation app like Waze. And it helps reduce uh, all kinds of negative police interactions by reducing all police interactions yeah. to zero. Uh, it shows you where cops are so you can avoid them. Getaways. Uh, <laughs> and then there's, uh, there's Equitable, which is a bill splitting app. And uh, so if you go out with friends, you want to split the bar tab or the dinner tab, it will split the bill fairly, uh, not equally. And so it takes into account uh, the race and gender wage gaps in America. 
And so uh, Asian men actually pay the most than it's white men. Uh, black women get paid to eat dinner. It's really like it's math. You can't argue with the math. It's like Bureau of Labor Statistics data. So we built basically a structure where teams come together and over the course of a weekend, they make these jokes that you can tap and swipe and log into and download. And then we put on a big show. You got one coming up in Vancouver? Uh, yeah, so we've actually even opened it up to let other people run Comedy Hack. Oh, wow. It's so kind so of like you a franchise it now. Yeah, like a, like a TEDx. But if you want to use franchise and bring it back to fast food, that's cool. <laughs> I was trying to keep it up here, but no, we can, we can go KFC. That's great. You know, when you go high, I go low. That's just my <laughs> approach to life. Oh, Fair nicely done. Thurston, nice. Ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire. This is Livewire Radio. We're coming to you from Littlefield in Brooklyn. We are talking about unconventional thinking this week on the show. And here is an unconventional place to reach millions of people with your music, a subway platform. But that's exactly where our next guest has been plying his trade for years with a voice that simply cannot be ignored. Mike Young's songs have caught the ear and the cell phones of many a commuter, and those videos that they've made of him singing have been viewed multiple millions of times on YouTube. He's just back from performing on James Corden's Late Late Show, and he's here with us now in Brooklyn. Please welcome Mike Young to Livewire. All right, all right. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Hey, it's a pleasure, man. So when you're out there singing and there are people that just walk by with their earbuds in and don't even notice, do you ever want to tackle them? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Uh, what happens, right, they walk by and they notice I don't have a microphone. So they turn around, <laughs> they come back and they say, wow. And a lot of people say, man, I had a terrible day and you just brightened up my day. You know, sometimes that means a little more than money. Because you've had a record contract before. I yeah, mean, you're, you're a professional uh, musician. I've been doing this all my life. I was singing in church, uh, me and my brother and sister. My aunt said, uh, y'all not going to sing back there where everybody act like they're singing. You know, she put us <laughs> out front. And nobody really wanted to go to church. But my aunt ran the church, so we had to go whether we wanted to do or not. But this was a blessing. After Sunday passed, she had an envelope with Mike Young on it. And she would give you a dollar. So now we was at church on Saturday. <laughs> Thinking we might get another dollar, you know what I mean? Right. But, uh, she said, don't worry about it. It's going to pay off. And God is good all the time, man. I'm sitting here with you. Well, we're so excited you're here, Mike. This is Mike Young on Livewire. There's been times when I thought 
is our show from Littlefield in Brooklyn. Let's tell you who helped make it all possible. First of all, thank you so much to our guests. Jed Abumrad, Robert Krolwich, Rupa, Vasudevan, Baratunde Thurston, and Mike Young. This show was recorded in New York City as part of the Unconvention from PRI, the 92nd Street Y and Mike.com, presenting coverage and live events of the 2016 election from a millennial perspective. Livewire made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and our editor. Jason Rouse is our announcer and wrote for this week's show. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director. House sound by Travis Bacon. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop and Carlson Audio. Thanks also this show to Julie Mashik, Kathy Merritt, and everybody from the Unconvention. Also, Julie Kim, Maz Black, and the wonderful folks here at Littlefield. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Laura Harden is our marketing manager. Livewire made possible by the generous support of our members. Special thanks to Stacy Cross this week. If you want to find out more about our show, go to livewireradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. R.I. Public Radio International.